0: Hey, as a Duck Day marketing listener, we know you're always on the lookout for ways to more efficiently scale your business. That's why I'm so excited to chat about iDigress, another show on the HubSpot podcast network. Troy Sandridge, the host of iDigress, talks all about how you can eliminate complexity, complications, and confusion from your business equation and create clarity to streamline strategy solutions that achieve scalable and sustainable success. Check out episode 24. Start there. 14 minutes or so. Strategy is power. You know, I love that idea. So listen, learn and grow with I digress on the HubSpot podcast network at HubSpot.com slash podcast network. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Chance. My guest today is Kate Cooper. She's a content strategist at Homeward, a new kind of home finance company. She's playing language advocate who believes in less is almost always more approach to content. I believe in that as well. She started (laughs) writing for a living in college and joined Homeward in 2020 in the space between. She was a magazine editor, a content consultant for a tech consultancy, and started her own content agency, Language Arts. Uh, So Kate, uh, thanks for joining me.
1: Thanks for having me, John. Looking forward to talking. So
0: I assume language arts. I said language arts. I don't think that was in your bio, but that's actually where I found you because I enjoy getting your uh, weekly newsletter.
1: That's right. That's right. Every Friday, five.
0: Yeah. So let's jump right to that. Just I had that on the list here to talk about, but newsletters seem to be enjoying a bit of a renaissance. They've been around for a long time, but... I think as all the glut of free content and other forms of the traditional kind of newsletter seems like it's died out a little bit. Your newsletter has taken a little different approach rather than trying to educate or really sell. Maybe I'll just ask you to let you share. What's your uh, philosophy on the content that you put in your newsletter, your weekly five?
1: Yeah. So sure. For language arts, um, it started when I was doing language arts full-time, the Friday Five newsletter did. And my intent was both to educate people about the importance of content strategy and content design, but then also to sell my services. So it was Mm -hmm. a little bit of both. Then I was hired by Homeward, my client, and went in-house full-time. But I loved the newsletter format so much that I've kept it going. I still do some consulting on the side, but very little compared to how much I used to do. So Mm -hmm. when I was trying to sell products and services with it, my formula was that one or two of the five items each week had to point back to some knowledge that I was sharing. But I think the renaissance in newsletters is largely due to the fact that people now approach them as a community tool, as a content curation tool, and not always as a sales tool. So they tend to be full of things that are just interesting and thought-provoking and conversation starters, but not necessarily a hard sell. And I think people really enjoy them because it's sort of the curation of social media without the trolls of troublesome commenters or silly debates. You can save them, savor the content when you want. So yeah, I'm a huge fan of newsletters as a way to keep your company or your products top of mind. And there's a ton of research around the fact that millennials really prefer them. So that's such a large group for many of us that it's super important.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. I'm seeing a lot of paid subscriptions come back and it was, there was this moment where no content needs to be free and that's the, that's the new way of the future. It'll always be free. And I think what happened was there was such a glut of it. And as you said, such a, the social media platforms where it wasn't real community necessarily, it was hard for people to, to feel like, Hey, this is my tribe. And I think that's what's happening. I think with a little bit of that renaissance is that people are willing to now pay in some ways to have a filter for the, glut of content and for people who are there and maybe even who can remain there because they don't have, as you call them trolls, but just even the commenters that are there not for the same. Yeah, there
1: are two different kinds of newsletters, right? So at Homeward, we have one where we're educating people about real estate. We're educating them about our products. We send that to about 10,000 people a week with well above industry benchmark open rates and click-through rates. It's great data that you can get about your customers when you're marketing. What are they interested in? What are they clicking on? You can get a ton of data through these various newsletter platforms. And then the other one you described is the paid newsletter. And so much of that comes from traditional journalists and writers who lost their platform as publishing changed, but who still have a market for their work. So they're charging people for a subscription via Substack or something similar. So two yeah, yeah. different purposes, but both experiencing yep. this great renaissance.
0: So because you, a lot of your freelance work or with your agency content and teaching people you know how to produce content, I, I'm curious where you fall on this. I hear a lot of content producers talk about the differences between content and copywriting. Do you have a, do you have an opinion on the difference and how you describe those?
1: Oh, yes, I definitely do. And I was just having this conversation with someone on my team who we hired as a copywriter and I was trying to convince him to change his title. So to be determined if we have, I've succeeded in that, but I was actually hired <laughs> by Homeward as a copywriter. And initially I didn't accept the job offer because um, I am not a copywriter and I wanted them to really understand what I do and what my value is and what they could expect from me. So I define copywriting as creating creative copy. So that might be ad copy. It might even be some website headlines, but it generally is driven by creativity, by cleverness, by being compelling. Um, Content design, which is how I think of my work. And if you're not familiar with her, Sarah Richards at Content Design London, who actually has changed her name to Sarah Winters. She's a godmother of content design is content created based on user needs and user research with plain language and digital behavior in mind. So content design is saying, here's what our user needs to do. What is the best way for us to make this findable, usable and actionable? And when I think I found the best way to do that, then actually putting it in front of my user and saying, is this the best way to do this? Do you understand this? So it often involves taking super complex things for us, real estate contracts, finance, and then hiding all of the complexity and making it as straightforward as possible for the user.
0: And that's, that's interesting. Man, as I listen to you describe that, one of the things I've really talked about is people are talking about you've web design and you've got content design and you've got SEO. And those really are, as I listen to you describe content design, you can't do that in a vacuum. That depends on no. where it's going to be displayed and getting people to find it depends on the structure of the content that's going to be useful in SEO terms. So those things really have to, uh, they really rely on each other in, this, in the world we live in today, don't they?
1: They do. And it's, it involves a ton of collaboration. Most often a content designer, who you can also think of as a verbal designer, is going to sit side by side, whether virtually or in real life with a visual designer. Right. And in an ideal world, my partner in visual design is also a woman named Kate. We sit there before we even start a project and think about where can visuals do the heavy lifting? Where does that make more sense? And where does it make more sense for the verbal to do the heavy lifting? Because there are certain things you can only accomplish with words. And there are certain things you can accomplish much better with an infographic or a video or a photo even. Those are all content as well. Um, but once people really understand it, they don't call it copywriting anymore. And they want you to constantly look at their work. We apply content design to web, to user agreements, to email, to everything at Homeward. Because once we realize the value of it, we realize that we need a little bit of that on every project we're working on that involves words.
0: And now let's hear a word from our sponsor. HubSpot's CRM platform is easy to adopt. And there are really two reasons, two features that make this possible. The contact timeline and the mobile app and mobile keyboard. HubSpot's contact timeline gives you the historical context you need to get the work done and connect with customers because all of your customer data is in one place. It can serve as a single source of truth. In HubSpot, you can take an action right from the contact timeline. Make a call, enroll a contact in a sequence, schedule a meeting, you've got it. And if you're on the go, you just use the mobile app to make it all happen and keep everything up to date. You don't have to spend a lot of time training your team. You can be sure that all the contact information is going into one system, making your team more efficient. Look, better adoption with a CRM leads to better data richer insights, and a bigger impact on your customer experience. Learn more about how you can scale your company without scaling complexity at HubSpot.com. So I read a statistic recently and said uh, 92% of people visit a website for the first time for reasons other than making a purchase or even engaging the business that's there. What does a statistic like that suggest to you that particularly like our homepage the journey of our homepage or the jobs of our homepage you know need need to be now
1: oh that's really interesting so there's that brings so much to mind give me a second to think about it the first thing is that 92% points to a homepage's place in a marketing funnel right, right. so the homepage is very top of funnel so what the homepage shouldn't do is go into great detail talk about yeah. pricing try to convert someone to a paid customer in any way, shape, or form. That's not the homepage's job, right? So the homepage is one tool in the marketing funnel. Again, we mentioned newsletter. That might be something, podcasts, or a million other things content-wise mm-hmm. that we can use, or even deeper website pages, deeper in the information architecture that are further into the funnel. What a homepage absolutely has to do is just one thing which is tell people the problem you solve. If your homepage does nothing else, it just needs to tell people the problem you solve. And that's it. I always tell people that it has to do a few other things too, but it has to do that one. So ideally we tell people what problem we solve. We elaborate a little bit and tell them how we solve it differently. Great customer service is not the right answer, by the way, little hint. (laughs) Everyone thinks they offer great customer service, but truly, how do you solve it differently? Um, We talk about the benefits of using our product and services. Again, very high level, top of funnel. We're not getting into anything, but we are talking about benefits and not features at that point. We offer some social proof, so we build trust. Why should I trust you? And then we tell them what to do next. And again, that's not going to be purchase or it's not marry me, it's date me. So what do I want them to do? And we need to offer a clear, compelling call to action. So in an ideal world, there are five things. Yeah. But the one is
0: the problem. You, you 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 will get no argument from me here. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's I, pretty w- formulaic. A, a, a big part of my work is telling people nobody wants what we sell, they want their problems solved. And right. that's right. the first thing that they have to hear from us before they say, oh, you got me. I often talk about the homepage's job is really getting you you found me. So now you know me. <laughs> and the homepage's job is to to learn how to like me and trust me. And there are various ways to apply that. It does just does the page load as fast as I think it should. Is one of one of the ways that you like and trust me. There are many jobs that go on there. After the homepage, in my experience, there are two other pages that end up getting a significant amount of traffic, if not the second and third most amount of traffic. And that's the about us page and the context us page. And mm-hmm. those are th- those are two pages also in my experience that I see people giving very little, <laughs> given how, how high they are up in your, your views, people, especially the contact us page, people really uh, don't spend much time on those. So if, if you were advising somebody on those two, what I would call very important, significant pages, what what does an about us page need to accomplish?
1: Uh, that's a great one. Okay. So the about us page, I think the Biggest job, and I've never thought about this way, so it's an interesting question. I think the most important job for the About Us page is building that trust and authority that you talked about. about. You mentioned it on the homepage, and that's certainly important, right? And sometimes that's not just what we say or what we do, but things like you mentioned loading times, consistency. Is the phone number, the contact phone number working? Is it correct on every page? All those little mistakes can erode trust. So I think that the About Us page largely has to do that. I think in telling your origin story, whether that's a founder's origin story, other or company's origin story, the About Us page can also build trust by exhibiting empathy, right? Again, going back to that problem, you think about like a Warby Parker, the, the eyeglass company, sunglass company. They tell the story of having, as poor students, having to replace an expensive pair of frames. Why are these so difficult to replace? Why are they so expensive? So that that origin story that helps to build trust. And again, we'll probably also demonstrate what problem you solve and how you solve it differently. So reiterating some of the stuff from the homepage. I think it also gives people sort of a hook to hang their hat on. It humanizes you. That may be your hook. It may also be like a data-driven hook. Again, it could be building social proof through Mm -hmm. testimonials, that sort of thing. Right. But ultimately... A a lot of it just comes down to legitimacy, and there's lots of different ways we can do that through our own bios, through our origin story, through our social proof, and through providing a glimpse into the company or a glimpse into the company's leader that they can't get anywhere else. I hate to see an About Us page it looks just like what you're seeing on LinkedIn or looks just like what you see somewhere else on the website, it actually is a chance to do a little more storytelling. This is a huge trend in marketing. And I think most people misunderstand it and they try to do their storytelling on the homepage. But unfortunately, when companies and organizations tell stories, they tend to be stories about themselves rather than stories about their target audience. Yeah. If you have a compelling story to tell about yourself, it belongs on the about page. Yeah, um, yeah. And that's the only place it's really appropriate, I think.
0: Yeah, there, there's no question as people are showing their human side, I think, more and more with those. Uh, you're seeing the company dog quite often on the team yeah. pages yeah. now or the about his <laughs> pages. But I do think that is a great place for Further connection around values and things like that. That if you've got a really fun culture, that's going to be part of your brand promise in a lot of ways, and I think that can shine there. Let's talk. A- go ahead, go so ahead. I was going
1: to add one more thing. What we didn't talk about—the difference—the about us page and a homepage—is you. You might have totally different audiences. So again using homework as an example, our About Us Mm -hmm. page is aimed at investors. We're VC backed. It's a recruiting tool. We're growing like crazy. And it's a partnership tool. So our growth model is through agents. We partner with agents. So they want to hear that our founder is an agent. They want to hear that our leadership team has a lot of agents on it. The story you tell will really depend on who the audience is. So I think it's important to to remember that your website doesn't various pages of your website can have different audiences so think about that when you're thinking about what your users needs are on that particular page
0: yeah didn't absolutely. want to lose sight of that no that's absolutely and that's that, that probably should go without go with without being said <laughs> you know every page should certainly have that user in mind let's talk a little bit about uh, your thinking on one of the things that I've been preaching for years that, that people just got into this content's content we just need more of it and then they got overwhelmed with how hard that was to keep up yeah. and people are becoming a little more strategic. And one of the things I've talked about is that just focus on the customer journey. What content that do you need that answers the questions and objectives at each stage of, of a customer's journey? So how, mm-hmm. how do you think about content around the different needs, the different uses, the, the different objectives that somebody's going to have? When somebody doesn't know you exist, they need to learn about you and they need to learn about the problems you solve. But then they really want to learn about who, you, who else you solved that for or how you advance somebody's... So now they're digging in and, and really uh, going deeper. How do you think about stages of customer journey as it relates to content?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Let me take a step back. In terms of creating content, we don't, we shouldn't ever create content unless it serves a business goal or a user need or ideally both of those things at the same time. Mm-hmm. So blogging for the sake of blogging or creating right. video for the sake of video that has to stop. I wish I had it with me so I could show you. I've, I've got a great mug from Content Design London that says literally, it's a black mug with white words that says, not more content, better content. The, right. Content for the sake of content is a waste of everyone's time, including your users. And it really hurts your signal to noise ratio. So we want to be super thoughtful about what we produce. To your point in the user journey, the, mapping out the user journey is a great way to begin to identify where you have content gaps and how to fill them. If you're not at the user journey stage yet, or just don't have the manpower for that, another way to do it is to think about frequently asked questions. Now, I am Mm -hmm. totally against a site page called FAQs. (laughs) It is a dumpster fire of content. If your users have that many questions, your content isn't doing its job, but that doesn't mean you can't use UFA, FAQs rather to guide the creation of content. Talk to the people on your front lines. Talk to the people who do customer service. Talk to your salespeople. They are, are some of your best researchers. Ask them what questions are they getting the most? What questions do they have the hardest time answering? Start with those questions and then create content that answers them, not in a Q&A format, but in a topic-based format that makes sense. I find that some people get really overwhelmed by the user journey and, again, tend to bastardize it a bit by saying things like, they need to know us, they need to get to know us, and so we're going to tell them about us. They don't really get to need to get to know you. Again, they need to solve their problem. So sometimes right. for people who aren't doing this full-time, starting with FAQs is a better place to be. And starting with somebody who doesn't know anything, So when you go to a cocktail party and you explain your business, what do people ask? They ask about the pricing model. They ask, when I think about homeware, they ask about the pricing model. They ask what happens, we buy homes for people with cash and then they buy them back from us. What happens if that person loses their job? They ask these questions that are very concerning to them. So that can sometimes be a better place to start.
0: Yeah, and I think particularly if you are in an innovative space, that you're solving a problem in some cases people didn't even know they had. Yes. That I think adds even more intrigue to to the customer journey for sure. So, Kate, tell people where they can find out more about your work. Obviously, I know at homeward.com, but you want to, are, are you still, I know that there's still some great content at language arts uh, XYZ as well.
1: There is, yes. So, language is a great place to go. My blog is full of resources for DIY content strategy. There's a workbook you can download to devise your own content strategy statement and learn how to evaluate whether creating content is worth your time. Got information about starting a newsletter, doing website audits, all kinds of good stuff.
0: Awesome. Appreciate you stopping by the duct tape marketing uh, podcast and uh, hopefully we'll run into you one of these days out there on the road.
1: Absolutely. Enjoyed it, John. Thanks so much for having me.
0: All right. So that wraps up another episode. I want to thank you so much for tuning in and you know, we love those reviews and comments and just, generally tell me what you think. Also, did you know that you could offer the Duct Tape Marketing System, our system, to your clients and build a complete marketing, consulting, coaching, business, or maybe level up an agency with some additional services? That's right, check out the Duct Tape Marketing Consultant Network. You can find it at ducttapemarketing.com and just scroll down a little and find that Offer Our System to Your Clients tab.